Amen. Uh, if you have your copy of Scripture this morning, we are in the book of Jonah, chapter 4. Jonah, chapter 4, this morning. Jonah, chapter 4. And we're going to look at the whole chapter of Jonah, chapter 4. Jonah, uh, again, is in the Old Testament, one of the minor prophets. It's towards the end of the Old Testament, so um, that'll help you find it if you don't know where it's located at. Jonah chapter 4. This morning I'm going to read from the English Standard Version, Jonah chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade until he should see what would come or become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. And so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor. Nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. I tell this message this morning, conflict with God. I like to to state uh, that we're using um, a book by Sinclair Ferguson um, over the life of Jonah, over the book of Jonah called uh, Cast Away, and um, it's by Banner of Truth. If you'd like to pick that up, you are more than welcome to, to do so. Uh, and go to Banner of Truth and find that book and, and order it if you want to uh, have some more information on the book. So we kind of use it as a launching pad for uh, this sermon series. Um, but I just always want to make that clear. But we're talking about conflict with God this morning. You know, I started uh, student ministry when I was 18 years old. And I am now uh, 42, soon to be 43 in approximately, what, eight days? Be 43. And uh, um, 
I've seen God move in some incredible ways in student ministry. I've, uh, and, and just in ministry in general, I've had opportunities to speak with and become friends with many pastors during that time. And, and this is what I know. Most men in ministry would give their right arm to see what Jonah saw in Nineveh. Uh, to be the instrument in the hands of God, to be used by God, uh, to bring about a great awakening would just be incredible. This was a time of unusual grace being poured out by God. We have seen the circumstances that brought Jonah to the city of Nineveh. We've seen the unction that Jonah had when he proclaimed the message God told him to proclaim. We've seen the faith and the repentance of the citizens of the city. All of this is only possible because of the outpouring of the grace of God to the people of Nineveh. Instead of wrath, the mercy of God had dawned on the city of Nineveh. What happened in Nineveh would be remembered. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ pointed back to it when He said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 41, He said, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And so Jesus says, the people of Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. He's speaking of himself. Behold, I'm here. And they wouldn't repent. In reality, what we see in Nineveh was a foretaste of what we see on the day of Pentecost when God would grant repentance to the Gentiles that leads to life. I'm certain that there are many Christians today who long for a time when as a servant of God you only need to go a day's journey before there's a large response to the Word of God. What a sight it must have been to see revival in Nineveh, to see people in repentance and faith responding to the message that God had given Jonah. I often wonder what we would do if national repentance were declared in America. How would we respond if the leaders of our nation clothed themselves in garments that displayed repentance and publicly cried out to God in front of us. Not in some superficial or fictitious way, but how would we respond if we saw our nation's leaders literally crying out to God for mercy to come upon our nation? What is most puzzling about this last chapter of Jonah is not necessarily that God showed the Ninevites mercy What is most puzzling and mysterious of all is Jonah's response to God showing the Ninevites mercy. In fact, this is the opposite of most Christian movies today. In most of the movies today that we watch that are Christian-themed or Christian movies, everything turns out right in the end. You ever notice that? Everything just seems to just be perfect in the end. This is one of the things that bothers me about many of these movies today. Movies like Facing the Giants. I mean, they go out and buy the coach a new car for crying out loud. Now, I've been in ministry well over 20 years. I have yet to walk out of my house or a church and have someone say, Pastor, 
Here's the keys to your brand new car right there. That just, it doesn't happen. Now, if you want to do that, I'll, I'll receive it. But that, that doesn't happen typically. It does happen in the, in the movies when they're making a Christian movie. Now, I did hear a story once of a church buying a pastor a new car, which I thought was amazing. But I also heard a story of a church that bought their pastor a new car, and sometime later he also received the payment book for the car. So, um, anyway, in Jonah, we don't have this, we don't have this ending. It's not this, this great ending where everything seems to turn out right. In fact, everything seems to fall apart. What is worse is we're left feeling disturbed and uneasy about the whole situation because you, you read the end of Jonah and you're like, that's it? That's how it ends? Then at the very end, of, of the book of Jonah, the camera has zoomed in on Jonah, and we see this picture of Je- Zo- Jonah, and then the camera zooms back out, and Jonah is in the foreground, and in the background we see this panoramic shot of Nineveh repenting, and the caption reads from verse 11, Should not I pity Nineveh, Jonah? And then it ends. Jonah, once again, under the cross-examination of the Almighty God. It's cryptic. It's difficult to grasp. It rocks us back and perhaps contradicts everything that we would have expected to happen if we're reading the book for the first time. Which leads us to the first point. Life is full of contradictions, but God is greater. Life is full of contradictions, but God is greater. You know, we face contradictions every single day when we stop and think about it. In fact, I decided to look up some contradictions. Let me give you some contradictions that people do or face sometimes daily. Here's one. People download thousands of dollars worth of pirated software and music and movies and media over the internet Every single day, but they would never walk into a brick and mortar store and steal. But they think it's okay to download stuff. Most people say they appreciate the importance of a balanced life, but dedicate 75% of their life to work and an additional 10% to watching TV. That doesn't sound real balanced, but they would say they want a balanced life. In general, many respectful law-abiding citizens have also received numerous speeding fines and they never alter their driving habits. They just continue to speed. Many people do their part to save the environment with the overarching goal of making a world a better place for their, their children. And some of these same people that say, hey, we want the goal to be a better place for our children believe it's okay to support abortion. It's a contradiction. Many people living in overly populated urban areas say they are in full support of going green. That's kind of the new thing, right? Got to go green. And while they say they're in support of going green, they live in a highly populated urban area, driving a gas-guzzling SUV, and polluting the air all the time. But they say they're in favor of going green. 
Life is full of contradictions. And here's the thing, the more we look at the life of Jonah, and the more familiar we become with him, and the more we understand the things we we see in the life of Jonah, we understand that's what's often in our own hearts. The more reluctant we become to deal with the loose ends of the book of Jonah, it is because we're like, we see our lives in Jonah. Jonah is an enigma, which is why we struggle so much with this final chapter. Jonah is a walking contradiction, and we like to try to pretend like we're not a walking contradiction. We like to try to pretend like, well, we don't live our lives the way Jonah lives his life, right? I mean, surely we don't live that way. Do you ever say to yourself something like this? I'm going to go on a diet today. And I'm not going to eat any sweets. I'm done eating sugar. And then someone brings out the dessert. And what happens? I'm going to start tomorrow. Right? That's what happens. At least that's what I do. Well, I think I'll start tomorrow. Because that dessert looks really good. You know what I mean? We're always contradicting ourselves. We think that if we just had more willpower or something like that, then then we wouldn't do this or we wouldn't do that. But life is full of contradictions. And here's the thing. It's not about willpower. It's the understanding that God is greater than your contradictions. In fact, as we look at Jonah chapter 4, we see some paradoxes and some contradictions of life, and they're worth a look at. After preaching, Jonah saw the repentance of the Ninevites. He engaged in a time of prayer He withdrew from the city. What we see is a contrast between God's response to Nineveh's repentance and Jonah's response to their repentance. So let's look at that. When God saw what Nineveh had done, what did He do? It says that God relented. He was going to pour His wrath out on the Ninevites. He sees them in faith and repentance and then He relents. When Jonah saw what God had done, what does Jonah do? He gets mad. He gets displeased. He's angry. Jonah chapter 4 verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. Whereas God was slow to anger. We see this in verse 2. Jonah was immediately angry. So we have this contrast. Here's what God does and here's what Jonah does. And in this contrast, we see contradictions. Here's what God does And this prophet who is from God contradicts what God does. So what does Jonah do in his anger? He prayed, of course. Isn't that what you do when you're angry? You pray? Probably not. Sometimes prayer is the furthest thing from my mind when I'm angry. But Jonah prays. His prayer was an angry prayer. It reveals his heart and how his relationship with God is a toxic relationship. But at least he prayed. That is better than running away, which he had previously done. However, even in his prayer, we do not see any marks of a mature believer, but rather we see marks of a spiritual infant. This is just like real life sometimes when we're forced Uh, or when we're faced with a crisis in our life or some sort of heavy burden as Christians, we behave oftentimes like children and we act inappropriately and spiritually immature. We, 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 we act kind of like Jonah. 
We don't fully put into practice that God is greater than our contradictions, that God is greater than our circumstance, or that God can do as He pleases and He simply requires our obedience. In fact, Jesus gives us a great illustration of how this generation, or how His generation at least, responds and how they are spiritually immature and childish, oftentimes like we can be. They call out to other children, it says in Matthew 11, verses 17 through 19, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. You don't have to be a around children very long to witness similar events. Children are constantly in need of immediate satisfaction. What do they want to satisfy? Their desires. Their needs. That's just how they behave. They quickly get upset if their needs or desires are not met in an instant because they don't really understand time. Like when we say to a child, wait a minute, they don't understand even what that means. Children want their own way, right? And they want it now. I want this now, like that commercial. It's my money and I want it now. That's the way children are. That's the way Jonah is. Often that's the way we are. Jonah wanted what he wanted, so he, what's he do? He sits outside the city of Nineveh and he pouts. Why? Because he was unwilling to rejoice in the fact that God was greater than the contradictions. He could not see that there was great joy in the presence of angels because Nineveh had repented because this was not what Jonah wanted. This isn't what he wanted. He was like a little kid who says, if you don't play the way I want you to play, then I'm not going to play with you anymore. And Jonah gets all upset with God. And he tells God, see God, I told you this was going to happen. This isn't why I wanted to come here in the first place. I knew this is what you would do. Church, Jonah's life is a walking contradiction. A man that's supposed to be a prophet of God, that's supposed to do the will of God, runs from God. He goes down into a ship. He goes down in the bottom of the ship to sleep. He goes down into the sea when he's thrown from the ship. And then he goes down into the belly of the fish before finally calling out to God. And God, God hears his call. Has the fish spit him out on dry land. The Word of God then comes again to Jonah. He then proclaims, the Word of God to the people of Nineveh. Gets a third of the way done. Revival breaks out. And this prophet of God that's forced to do the will of God rather than rejoice goes out and sulks and acts like a child. Because he didn't get his way. He wanted destruction to come on Nineveh. But here's the thing. I think it's so easy to read this and be like, that Jonah, man, he is a goofball. 
What is he doing? It's so easy to beat up on Jonah. But before we do, we must ask ourselves, is my life also a walking contradiction? How often do we say we are followers of Christ and proclaim that this has made some sort of wonderful difference in our life? And then in reality, we prove by our lives that it's made no difference. How often are we a walking contradiction, church? So, oh yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. It's, it's the greatest thing. But our lives prove it's not the greatest thing. What I want us to understand is a lot of times our lives are just like Jonah. But God doesn't work in our lives inside that, that contradiction where, where our lives are this walking contradiction where we kind of we say, yeah, uh, being a Christian is a great thing and then we prove it by our actions that it's not. God doesn't work in that realm. He works outside of that realm. You see, He works beyond that contradiction. Jonah's life was a contradiction, but God was greater. And still did a great work. And sometimes your life is going to be a contradiction. But God is greater. He's greater than that contradiction of your life. And not only that, He can do a great work through you. Which leads me to our second point. Which is this. When we give up, God is not willing to give us up. When we give up, God is not willing to give us up. Let's see where Jonah's at. Geographically, we know he is outside of the city of Nineveh. Chronologically, he's in the midst of a revival. Spiritually, he's almost right back to where he started. Jonah is defending what he had previously done. He's digging himself a hole of spiritual disobedience. Jonah has become so miserable about both his disobedience and his obedience that he is at the end of his rope. In fact, he, he would rather die. That's what he says. He would, he would prefer to just die. And so Jonah prays this weird prayer. It's, it's this weird prayer of divine euthanasia. Jonah chapter 4 verse 3. What's he say? Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life. For it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah chapter 4 verse 8, and he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. It is clear from this that someone can be a witness of the great blessing of God falling in enormous power and yet long to be elsewhere or in Jonah's case, long to be nowhere. It is also possible to be in this condition and be a child of God. As we looked at the last point, sure, it's a contradiction, but it certainly is possible to see God move like Jonah saw God move in Nineveh and yet not want any part of it. 
Jonah was not the first person to want to give up, and he's not going to be the last person that wants to give up either. However, even though Jonah was willing to give up, he, he was done. God, I'm done. Just take my life. Even though he's willing to give up, God was not willing to give him up. Why do you think Jonah's misery was so miserable? Because Jonah was stuck. He was stuck because on one hand, he had his own self-will. And on the other hand, he had the strong hand of God. And the more Jonah pushed his will and what he wanted, the more God pressed in on him. And Jonah was bound to remain miserable in his life until either he or God let go. And trust me, God is not going to be the first person to let go. Sometimes I've been guilty of saying to my kids, trust me, my will is stronger than yours. My head is stronger than yours. Trust me, God's will is stronger than your will. Jonah knew that God had no intention of giving up. Even further, God is once again about to take the initiative to restore Jonah. Jonah had himself a little makeshift tent. That way he could be shielded from the sun. He sat in the shade and he waited to see what would happen to the city. He's out there pouting. I'm just going to sit here and watch what's going to happen to this city. Perhaps he's still hoping that the judgment of God would fall on those Gentile dogs in Nineveh. However, his little building efforts were not able to give him the comfort he really needed. So God saw the situation Jonah was in and He has compassion on him. And God provides a plant which grew over Jonah's head. Gave him shade. And we read in Jonah chapter 4, verse 6, what's it say? Jonah was exceedingly glad. Man, Jonah is a happy camper. Now to be honest, there is a debate over the nature of the plant. Some translations say a gourd. Some say a vine. I like what the ESV footnote gives to us because it gives a suggestion that uh, that it's a Hebrew word, uh, kikeon. And it should be translated the castor oil plant. We don't really need to understand Hebrew to recognize the appropriateness of that being a castor oil plant. It was just what Jonah needed, a healthy dose of castor oil. Jonah was thrilled by the plant. And in a sense, he loved the plant. In fact, it would seem as if the plant was the only thing that he allowed himself to have companionship with. This plant, maybe maybe he laid there in the shade of the plant, talking to the plant, going over his experience, even even saying, oh, this didn't this happen, and then this happened. Who knows what he did with this plant? Maybe he even named the plant. Perhaps he even felt as if he deserved the plant. Did he think that God was indifferent to his disobedience and rebellion? Little did Jonah seemed to know that God was using all of this as part of His plan. Jonah had given up, but God had not given up. 
early the next morning, God sends a worm. Destroys the plant. Jonah probably felt the warmth of the sun on his body. He probably wondered to himself, why is it so warm? I'm in the shade. And as he began to get his bearings and clear the sleepiness out of his eyes, he knew something was wrong. Something was missing. Sure enough, his plant was gone. Where was his shade? There lay his precious plant beside him, dead as dead could be. Poor little Kiki, the castor oil plant. It was no longer with him. But it's all part of God's plan. And as if that's not bad enough, God sends a scorching wind from the east that made the heat sweep over Jonah's body like a furnace. And Jonah became angry and he wants to die. Why was God playing games with Jonah? Why would God one minute give him shelter and shade from this plant and the next expose him to the treacherous sun? Why would God do this? Jonah was angry. Why was he even called to be a prophet in the first place? He was angry about that. He was angry about what happened to him at sea. He was angry because God used him to bring the Ninevites to repentance and faith. And now his precious plant is dead. That was it. That was the last straw. Jonah is done. Take me, God. I am sick of this. You ever been there? You ever been at that point? God, I'm just so tired all this if we were Jonah's friends perhaps we'd take Jonah aside and say to him Jonah it seems like God's trying to get your attention through all these events in your life and there's a repeated pattern through the book of Jonah we see it in chapter 1 when the pagan captain of the ship called out to Jonah and how it must have served as a reminder of him of the original call God had made to him. Remember, God called Jonah and said, Arise and call out against that great city. And then the captain of the ship, when Jonah's down there sleeping, calls out to Jonah and says, Arise and call out. We see it again. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah and Jonah didn't listen. And then what happens? Jonah chapter 1 verse 1. Jonah doesn't listen. Jonah chapter 3 verse 1. And the word of the Lord again comes to Jonah. It's a pattern. Furthermore, there's a repeated pattern in the book of Jonah that focuses in on the providence of God to make it clear that this is the, the case. Let's look at it four times. The word appointed appears in Jonah. Focusing in on the providence of God. Jonah chapter 1 verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah chapter 4 verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah. Jonah chapter 4 verse 7. God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. Jonah chapter 4 verse 8. God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. All these instances of the providence of God taking place by which he intended that Jonah would be drawn back into fellowship with him. Jonah had given up, but God didn't give Jonah up. 
Instead, God uses all these different means by His providence, controlling a plant, a worm, the wind, to bring Jonah back to himself. They certainly did their job. They brought Jonah's conflict with God to a head. By the end of the book, Jonah is seemingly shouting at God. And at that precise moment, God again strikes the conscience of Jonah. You ever done that? You ever been like Jonah? Angry at God for something he's done? For something he didn't do? I hear that all the time. God, why'd you, why'd you allow my dad, my grandpa, whoever, to die of cancer? You could have stopped it. God, why'd you allow this to happen? God, why did this take place? And we, we ask all these questions of God and, and we think that somehow our will is what should happen and take place. And here's Jonah. His heart revealed. God, I knew that you were going to do this. And then, then God starts to control nature and reveal Jonah's heart. And then, this is what God seems to do to us, church. We get angry at God and He just goes, bam. And the Lord said, you pity the plant, Jonah. You pity this plant which did not labor. You didn't make it grow. It came into being in a night and it perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle, despite all the lessons God had given him, Jonah still did not get it. He did not learn that the immortal souls of men and women and boys and girls are the most precious thing in all the universe. Most precious. And I read this and I, and I feel conviction. I, I feel, God... The most precious thing in all the world are the immortal souls of men and women and boys and girls. The most precious thing in Washington, Illinois is not who's driving this car or who has this house or who does this or this. The most precious thing in our city is the immortal souls of people. The most precious thing in our state, the immortal souls of people. The most precious thing in the U.S., the immortal souls of people. The most precious thing in our world, the immortal souls of people. Jonah didn't get it. He's worried about a plant. He's all worked up and angry because of the loss of a stinking plant and the discomfort from the sun. What a shame. How often do we act the same way? We're not comfortable and we get all worked up by that. Something doesn't go our way and we get worked up by that. We lose something that we think is valuable and we get worked up by that. 
How could this prophet of God be so careless? We can say that, but the question is, how can we be so careless? Because a reflection on our own lives would probably reveal that we are just like Jonah. We get so worked up over things that don't matter. I've seen churches divide over things that really don't matter while the most precious thing, the immortal souls of people are forgotten. All around America today, churches will meet on a Sunday morning and they will come together and they will walk out of church this morning and some will be talking about this, that, or the other, about things that don't matter. And not even give a thought to the immortal souls of people. Sure, Jonah was a discredit to the name of God. He was a discredit to the grace that he professed to, to, to want to give out from God. God once again sends his message of providence a third time. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. All through chapter 4, we read, The Lord said, the Lord said, the Lord said, the Lord said. God again speaking to Jonah. And now Jonah must decide. Disobedience or commitment. And here's the crazy thing. We don't know. (laughs) We don't know. It ends. It doesn't say, and Jonah rose up and was obedient to the Lord and commit. We have no... It just ends. But here's the thing, church. Do you see yourself in Jonah? Do you see yourself in Jonah? In closing, let's recognize that this chapter and the others like it are about Jonah's conflict with God. Let us be reminded that life is full of contradictions. That there are times that our Christian walk is a contradiction. We say, well, we're a follower of Christ and we want the gospel to be preached to all nations, to all people. We want to see people come into a loving relationship with Jesus Christ, but we do nothing to ensure that. We come to church on a Sunday morning. We sit in a pew. We don't tell our neighbors about Jesus. We don't tell our friends about Jesus. We definitely won't cross an ocean to tell someone about Jesus. And for some reason that we think that that's okay, for some reason we've sold ourselves a lie that that's not a contradiction. It is a contradiction. In fact, it's so much a contradiction that we would almost be forced to ask ourselves if that person's even a Christian if they don't want other people to know about Jesus. God is greater than the contradictions that we show in our lives. Would we be reminded of that this morning? Would you be reminded this morning that even though you may be willing to give up, God is not willing to give you up? 
And finally, would you be reminded this morning that you don't know when the last time God will speak to you. You don't know. You don't know when it's the last time that God says, I want you to do this. I want you to share the gospel with this person. I've given you a conviction for this ministry. You don't know when it's the last time that God speaks to you. You would do well to assume that this time is the last time. And commit ourselves to the Lord while He still speaks to us. And so I ask you this morning, have you heard Him today? Have you heard Him? I don't know what that looks like in your life. I don't know how maybe preaching through this conflict with God in Jonah chapter 4, I don't know how the Lord may have spoke to your conscience as He did Jonah. I don't know. That's the beauty of preaching because I don't know how God's going to use it. But I ask you this morning, have you heard Him? What will you do with that? In just a minute, we're going to sing a song. I'm going to be standing down front. Maybe this morning, you, you need to pray. You just Maybe you need someone to pray with you. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to come up here and pray on your own. Then you can come up here and pray on your own. You can pray in your pew. Maybe you need to talk afterwards. We'll talk afterwards. However you feel the Lord is, is moved in your heart and life today, I want to give you the opportunity to respond to Him. Maybe He's moving in such a way that you're just like Jonah. And your life's a walking contradiction. And you're not proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who desperately need it. You don't understand that the most important thing in this whole world is the immortal souls of people. However he's spoken, I give you the opportunity to respond this morning. Let's close with a time of prayer.